Uh, We are in Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to read the first seven verses. Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan, uh, Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in, the, in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest like and like warriors uh, dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of, the, of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war, all will be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. For a child is born to us, a son given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for this chance to gather here in your name, to worship you, Lord, to learn about uh, the season that's coming up, Lord, to learn about Jesus himself. Lord, we ask that you would bless the rest of this service, that you would focus our hearts and minds on you this morning. Lord, that we may be able to put aside uh, all distractions, that we may be able to only see you. Lord, we pray for the rest of this day. I ask that you would give us a joyful hands of work as we prepare for this next week. Lord, I ask that you would use us to do something amazing this week. Lord, that everything we do would just magnify you. That every single person who walks through this church in this next week would only want to glorify you and know more about you, Lord. Lord, we pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Joel Sebastian, you know him. Some of you may be confused, thinking that no, I have no idea who that was or is. That was supposed to be my name. I was supposed to be named after my grandfather, who at the time, seeing that my mom was not married, that he was my dad. And I was told later on that as my mom contemplated naming me Joel Sebastian, that my grandfather said, there are enough names in this world. Do not use mine. Thus, Douglas Wade, who should have been Joseph, Joel Sebastian. Names. If you do a search, or at least maybe even in your own family tree, you'll look at different names. and You kind of wonder, where did they come from? Sometimes we name our offspring after a number of different people, places, or things. Uh, 
I have two grandchildren who are named after baseball players. Page is Sasha Page, and Dean is Dizzy Dean. By the way, they match their names pretty well. Dean is very dizzy, he's very active, and he's very busy. Sometimes we name our children after places. We have two in our congregation, Brooklyn and Queenland. You didn't know you were named after a borough of New York City, did you? And sometimes we name them after iconic movie stars. Yeah. For whatever reason, the, least, the list goes on and on and on, and so do the reasons. In the text, in, in the scriptures, though, we find some places where God intervenes over the desires of parents in order to name their children. When you come to the book of Hosea, the prophet of God, he, God tells him in chapter 1, verses 3, verse 6, and then again in verse 8, it says, the Lord said, name this child this. Of course, we also know that in other places, the scriptures tells us that in, in the book of Luke, that Zechariah, the angel told him that he is to name the child John. And of course, we know Matthew chapter 1, where the angel Gabriel comes to Joseph and says, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. So, Names of individuals, especially in the Jewish culture, come from some characteristics. In fact, in the Jewish culture, they don't name their children until eight days after the child is born. Because they want to see what kind of characteristics the child has, even in that young age, and then they would name that child. Our second child should have been named no sleep, mom and dad. <laughs> but we called her Jessica. I doubt that that name Jessica means that no sleep, mom and dad. But anyway, that's the way it is. They looked at the characteristics of the individual and then they named them. Well, we, we come to this very familiar passage of Isaiah chapter 9. And what we're going to do in, in this particular study, there we are, is he shall be called. Isaiah chapter 9, the, the names of Christ. He shall be called. And of course, there are a number of them that are listed there. In fact, four in particular. But this morning, and on our journey, we're going to start looking at the name of Wonderful Counselor. He's the Wonderful Counselor, verse 6. Now, in order to understand what these names mean, we need to understand the context in which they're given. If you go back to chapter 7 of the book of Isaiah... 
you will find out that there's this king named Ahaz. And Ahaz and all of Judah are scared to death. From a historical perspective, the 12 tribes that make up the full nation of Israel have been divided. Ten of those tribes form what is called in the scriptures Israel, the northern ten tribes. They had no good kings whatsoever. None. The bottom last two tribes form what is called Judah, the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom had their capital in Samaria. That's why when Jesus, in John chapter 4, came to the well, this woman that he met said, Our fathers tells us that we should worship God on this mountain, meaning Samaria. But you tell us that we should worship somewhere else. The bottom two two tribes, Judah, had some good kings. Ahaz is not one of them. You might be more familiar with Uriah or Hezekiah. Those kind, they were good kings, but Ahaz, he's not a good king. In fact, if you go back to 2 Kings chapter 16, you will find out that he tries to make an allegiance with the king of Assyria. And when he goes there, when he meets this king of Assyria, he notices that this king has built a golden altar. And he loved it. And it says that he sent information back to the high priest and he said, build it. And when you go through 2 Kings chapter 16, you'll find out that that, te- that altar was placed in, if you will, the temple. It took the place of the altar of God. In fact, they removed the altar of God and put it around back. And Ahaz began to offer sacrifice on this altar that he loved. He's not a good king. But now in Isaiah chapter 7, he's scared to death because he hears that the king of Israel, the northern ten tribes, has made a pact with another king, and they're going to come and attack Judah. And so this is where God sends in Isaiah. But you'll notice in chapter 7, that though we're not, you don't need to turn there, that God says to Isaiah, take your son along with you. Now his name means there will be a remnant. And they go and they meet Ahaz at a specific location and he begins to give him information that says, don't worry. This is where we get our verse that a virgin will conceive and bring forth a child and you shall call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Then Isaiah clarifies it and he says, before that child 
could learn to say daddy and mommy. Those two king, that kingdom that you're afraid of is going to be laid desolate. It's going to be away. Now what precipitated that name was a gift from Isaiah to Ahaz saying, ask God for a sign. And Ahaz said, no, I'm, I'm not going to ask God for that. It's foolish pride is what it was, religious pride. And then Isaiah said, then God's going to give you a sign to prove to you that what scares you the most isn't going to happen. Of course, we know that that particular prophecy was fulfilled in Matthew chapter 1, where a virgin did conceive and bring forth a child. They called his name Jesus, Emmanuel, meaning God with us. So, all of that is in order now. You all clear on that? That's the context that we come now to chapter 9. Now, from chapter 7 to chapter 9, Isaiah is full of bad news. The northern kingdoms are going to be laid to waste, but oh, Judah, pay attention. If you don't repent, you too are going to be laid to waste. Assyria is not going to come. Isaiah says, God has another kingdom that's going to come for you. And we do know from a historical perspective that that kingdom was Babylon. Because Judah didn't repent. And God punished them, took them away. But in this particular text, now Isaiah goes from gloom and doom to rejoicing. For he, as Pastor Steve read, that, yes, it's going to get dark. But in the darkness, man will see a great light. And then he goes on to describe the name. So in, in, in many ways, what is happening, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. The first name. What, what is amazing about this is that Isaiah is giving a prophecy to the people in order to, if you will, anticipate a person who would come and bring about foundations of hope to the world. The text of Isaiah is divided into two sections. Chapter 1 up to chapter 39. And then chapter 40 to the end is another section. First section is all about judgment. Second section begins to describe hope in the coming of the Messiah. So, seeing that to the Jewish culture, names mean something, we need to take a look at this wonderful, wonderful name. In fact, the name is Wonderful Counselor. 
Wonderful counselor. The meaning of wonderful is this. Wonderful is the son in his eternal relation to the almighty father. I I trust it hasn't been too long that you have forgotten about John chapter 14. When one of the disciples asked Jesus, show us the father. And Jesus said to him, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. What makes this term wonderful is a descriptive term that highlights the fact that Jesus Christ is God. He is of the same essence of the Father in the triune Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He carries with him a descriptiveness that even in our best days we fall far short of trying to describe how wonderful he really is. We have finished our Thanksgiving season, and we gave thanks for everything that God has done for us. But it even appears around the supper table, at least in my house, that even those prayers of Thanksgiving at times fall short, because how do you describe the wonderfulness of Jesus Christ? How do you even begin to come to grips, to to wrestle with this term wonderful. And in fact, in the scriptures, the term wonderful is always in relation to God the Father. Always. It never separates. It describes a position, if you will, an association of how this triune Godhead works which is difficult for us to grasp, let alone to try to theologically describe. But here, Isaiah writes, his name shall be called Wonderful. It also describes, if you will, an unchanging relation of mutual love and tenderness. Now try to Wrap your brain around that. That Jesus Christ is so wonderful. He is so tender. His love is so undescribable. And yet that's who he is. The closest we can get, I I think, to understanding what we mean by that is John 3.16. That God didn't just love the world. He's so Loved it. It was a passion of his. Again, focusing in on a communicable, if you will, characteristic of God that we can have. I can be so in love with my wife. I can be so in love with my children and my grandchildren. I can be so in love with them that everything that I want to do is to make them better, to provide as best I can for them, to kick them out of my house by 10 o'clock on Saturday morning. And then I can so love my peace and quiet. Can I get an amen? 
wonderful. Not only a position, but a passion. And, and another one is wonderful, holy, transcending, even our utmost ability of thought. We cannot even come to grasp through the most intelligent individuals of the world cannot even begin to describe the word wonderful as it relates to Jesus Christ. Theologians fall short of, of trying to come to some grasp of, of some reality in order that we can fully understand how Jesus really is wonderful. Let me read for you, I can't sing it for you, but let me read for you a chorus of a song that I had the privilege of being a part of in the Conestogans at Lancaster Bible College. It was a Christmas song. And, and the words go something like that. He's more wonderful than my mind can conceive. He's more wonderful than my heart can receive. He goes beyond my highest hopes and fondest dreams. He's everything that my soul ever longed for. Everything he's promised and so much more. More than amazing, more than marvelous, more than miraculous could ever be. He's more than wonderful. That's what Jesus means to me. Amazing, amazing. But yet still, we fall short. Well, let's look at some of the examples of wonderfulness in, in our Lord Jesus Christ. He's wonderful is, is he as displayed in the act of creation and incarnation? Wonderful is he in his dealings with man, his patience and regards for them. Wonderful is he in his life on earth in which he ministered to mankind, died for mankind, and rose again for mankind. And wonderful is he as he builds his church for which even the gates of hell cannot be victorious over. Wonderful. He's more than wonderful. We can't even begin to describe all the wonderfulness of Jesus Christ. But that's not the only name. He's called Wonderful Counselor. Now, wait a minute. How in the world can we put these two names together, these two characteristics together? We somewhat know what a counselor is. Someone that we can go to, talk to, and try to get some kind of perspective in life. How do you talk to a wonderful counselor? One that you can't even begin to audibly speak to because you don't know what to say in his presence. But let's look at this counselor. The word, he is the word, 
and wisdom of heaven. I, I take you back again to John chapter 14. As that chapter is closing out, Jesus says, all the words I say come from my Father. The book of John begins by telling us that in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things are made by Him. Jesus Christ is the Word and the wisdom of heaven. All revealed light is also from Him, for He is the Word and the truth. John 14, 6. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He counsels us from within by the inward monitor who tells us what is right. Remember, Jesus said, I'm going to send you another comforter. And he will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have told you. His Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is used by this wonderful counselor to make sure that through the word of God, we honor the wonder of God in order that we can show the glory of God. He's a counselor. He counsels us from without by his apostles, evangelists, his church, and his living ministers. He's the wonderful counselor. If, he, if anyone asks wisdom, James tells us, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally and does not withhold anything from them. If you lack wisdom, why? Why go to Jesus? Because he is the wonderful counselor. He is the word. He is the wisdom of heaven. And he's the one who knows what is needed and speaks into those needs with confidence and genuine concern. The perfection of this king is seen in his qualification for ruling as a wonderful counselor. What makes a great king? one who is wise, and one who is a counselor. That's Jesus. That's who he is. And even in the darkest of times, Isaiah says, and they're coming, by the way, he said to the nation of Judah, it's coming. Even in the darkest of times, the people have seen a great light. And his name is Jesus. So what does that, where does that take us to? It's this. <coughs> Excuse me. 
Seeing Jesus as the one who is fully capable of leading and ruling the world at large is critical to our understanding how he governs now and our confidence that he will govern this way forever. When he establishes his throne, it says in the book of the Revelation, nations are going to come to him. They will all come to this wonderful counselor who's the king. Because he rules wonderfully with great counsel. It doesn't really matter if I was to be named Joel Sebastian. It doesn't really matter if I was named Douglas Wade. Why again? The thing of it is, is that this name, Wonderful Counselor, causes us to stop and contemplate that the same king that was promised is going to rule according to his name. Wonderful Counselor. That's the first of four. Next week, Lord willing, at about 10.30, we'll look at the next one. What a great season we have. What a great opportunity we have. And what even may seem to be the darkest around us that we've ever experienced, yet still, the world is looking for a great light. Let me tell you his name. His name is Jesus. Do you know him? Do you know him? That's my plea. I trust you all have placed your faith and trust in him and him alone as your wonderful counselor. Take his words. Understand his glory. And you'll find yourself like me, struggling behind a desk, trying to bring some kind of reality to a word word that I can't fully describe. All I know is you'll come to the same conclusion that I did. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being wonderful. Let's pray together. Our wonderful counselor, How precious that name is. First revealed so many years ago by a prophet who tried to bring some kind of comfort to a king who was trying to look for other resources. And yet, Isaiah calls him wonderful counselor. Oh, Lord God, may we never forget how truly wonderful you are. How majestic of a counselor you are. And putting those two things, those two names together, we come to realize that we have a glorious king. One who is worthy to rule all the earth and who even now rules as he's seated next to the Father in glory. 
So Lord God, awaken us in this next holiday season. Awaken us to the glory and the beauty that is in your name. Emmanuel, yes, God with us, yes. Wonderful counselor. And we'll praise you. And thank you, wonderful counselor. For it is in your name we pray. Amen.